Okay, so we have a lot of interesting questions today, and uh, let's start with Abai. Okay. Jack, can you hear me, Gumrush? I can. Good morning. Oh, great. Good, morning. Good morning. Great to see you. Thank you for having this class for us. Uh, I had a question. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the um, the difference and the simultaneous difference and sameness between Mahaprabhu and Krishna. In particular, I'm thinking in regards to how to, um, because as an example, uh, let's, if you have like, I'm uh, sorry, if in some other um, uh, devotional practices, uh, for instance, someone worshiping Ram or someone worshiping um, Nusringadev, they have just one focus. And it's interesting with our Sangha, we have two in the sense that we have Mahaprabhu and Krishna. But of course, it's the same person at, at the same time. So uh, sometimes I have some confusion to think like, I'm, I, I feel like I want to just think about them as one, like the one friend I'm trying to develop friendship with. And that friend shifts between the two moods, but it's the same friend. And I'm wondering if that's okay to think in that way, or if we should think a little bit more that it's different, um, maybe different aspects or different personalities more. So that's a little mixed, the question, but I hope you get the gist, and I wonder if you could speak on that a little bit. Yeah, thank you. You mentioned uh, the focus of others, for example, on Narasimha or <clears throat> Ramchandra and so forth. Um, I think that's uh, it's true to an extent, but typically um, they such focus includes Lakshminishinga, Sita Ram, and so forth. So wherever we find the avatars of Krishna, we find um, Radharani's there as well, Sita, Lakshmi, and, and so on. And these two are considered one and different. Right? In that, in a different sense, they're one and different in that the Shakti the energetic, the energy, excuse me, the Shakti and the Shakti Man, the energy and the energetic are one and different at the same time. In other words, if you start a fire, you're going to have heat and light, right? Heat and light are one with fire in that sense, but they're also different. You could extract the heat and the light in another way and not overtly at least have a fire and so forth. So there is a a unity and a difference there, as 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 we would look at it. Of course, different sampradayas will describe that um, that interaction and that unity uh, differently. Um, but um, your question is um, with regard to the fact that we are worshippers of Krishna and Krishna in the form of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as well. So I think that um, yes. So sometimes I like to refer to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as Gore Krishna for that reason. He's Krishna, golden Krishna. Krishna is otherwise Shyam, dark. But here he's Gore Krishna. And the same Krishna, but in a different mood, in a different pursuit. And so I think that the the, the main focus of the teaching in this regard is that um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna. What mood is he in? This is this is my friend in a particular mood. Hmm. If you, as you were speaking about it, right? You like to think of Krishna as your friend, all well and good. 
how shall you think of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Well, here is my friend. In this, he's in this mood, and this is his purpose, and this is his pursuit. Um, in this instance, so I shall adjust myself accordingly, hmm, so that I can serve him appropriately relative to his mood. Now, in the one sense, he's the same Krishna, right? And he showed that. Hmm. So let's speak about the idea that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the same Krishna who is your friend. Sakirasa, for example. Bhakti Minotaku makes a statement that I like to cite uh, in his Navadweep Baba Taranga um, when he's describing Godrum. Godrum is the island within Navadweep, the nine islands, Navadweep, um, that represents Kirtan. And also, in relation to the, to the Braj, it represents Nandagram, um, which is saturated with Sakirasa. And so his prayer is that uh, upon entering into Godrum, having the darshan of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he sees Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu sees local cows and cowards and himself in the midst of his Sankirtan with Nityananda Prabhu and associates. He turns into a in, in, into a coward boy, and and Gaur Lila turns into Krishna Lila, and so the associates with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who have that similar bhav of Sakya bhav, then. They will pray like this, Bhakti Thakur says. Um, when will that day come? When will that day be mine? When I will see the pure, prem-filled leelas of Godrum. And Gopa Bhave, Gopa Shange, Prabhu Seva Ase. And then I will be able to serve Prabhu there in Gopabhav in the, in the Sangha of other Gopas Gopa Sangha, Gopa Bhave Prabhu Sebas Prabhu refers to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu who is appearing in that vision as the coward boy Krishna who had me to live in Godrum and serve him with one mindedness with no other interest so he prays like this so there's two sides then to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he's Gore Krishna, and he shows himself to be Krishna, that same friend, right? And the object of Sakirasa. Hmm? But at the same time, he shows himself as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, right? He shows himself as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and then in certain instances in the context of the Leela, he's transported into Krishna Leela and his associates with him, and they see him as the object of their, of their love in Krishna Lila, whether it be in Gopi Bhav or, or, or Gopa Bhav. So I'm saying that there's two sides, two, two ways in which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu shows himself, right? Sometimes he actually shows himself as Krishna. Sometimes he's showing himself as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who is a devotee of Krishna, right? Right? And he has a certain pursuit and so forth. 
So we have to take that into consideration. And um, Bhaktivinoda Thakur in the, in, the, in, in, in the Bengali verse that I cited uses a very interesting language in this regard. He says, Gopa Sange Gopa Bhave Prabhu Sevaase. When in the, in the Sangha of Gopas, in the mood of a Gopa, will I be able to live and reside in Rodrum with one mind in this and serve Prabhu there? Prabhu means Lord. It's more of a reference to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu himself, who as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the, is Krishna in another sense, in his Acharya Leela, teaching the way, right? And amongst all the devotees, in the Sangha, he is Mahaprabhu. You have Prabhu Gaur, Prabhu Advaita, Prabhu Nityananda, and Mahaprabhu. Or he's the great master, right? He's the he's the fullest sense of the of the of the of the guru. We say Samasti Guru, macrocosm macrocosm of Guru Tattva for Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So. We served, we serve, when we see him in that light, right? We serve him in, in Dasyabhav, right? In, in a, in a form would be the ideal, suitable for Gorlila. But in the context of that, he may show himself, right? As, as Subal Saka, the friend of Subal. And you will see yourself as, as one such similar friend. So, this is uh, uh, there's a little bit a little bit two sides how to see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we should think of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as, as Mahaprabhu, hmm? the great. Uh, even if we think of him only with, with, without Aishvarya hmm? um, as uh, the, you know, the resident of Navadvipa, so still he's the best amongst the devotees, hmm? the leader of the devotees. Our ideal there is to be a devotee, and he's setting such an extraordinary example. So we have so Dasyabhav for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Sakyabhav or Gopibhav for Krishna. And you have to navigate the course like this. In Bhajan, of course, it'll become clear. Over And, and one will move back and forth in a natural way, if you will. But um, prior to being able to um, absorb oneself in bhajan, which is the case for most of the devotees, then um, it's better for us to think of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as that same Brajendananda and Krishna in the form of the Acharya, showing us the way. Does that help? Yes, thank you very much, Kamrash. Thank you. So you have a guru and you have Krishna, right? Those are two, two, two you have to worship. The guru is not different than Krishna too, Sakshadharitena, Samasta Shastra, but he's also Kintu Prabhodya Priya Bhattasya. He's also dear to Krishna and a devotee. So we tend to think of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as, as a guru figure in this sense, right? And he shows himself to be Krishna as well. Okay. Good question. Thank you. Thank you very much. The next question is from Krishna Karnam from Poland. He says, 
I was wondering whether excessive attachment to the truth can be an obstacle on the path of bhakti. I mean not only the so-called relative truths, but also the absolute truth. On the one hand, we have statements such as at the beginning of Srimad Bhagavatam, Satyam Param Dhimahi, we meditate on the Supreme Truth. And on the other hand, in your comment to Bhagavad Gita 18.65, you write, it is even said that the guru may sometimes appear to lie to his disciple in the course of instructing him in the highest truth. The scripture also claims to have a license to exaggerate. And then further, I think this is also from your commentary, quote, that land of Mathura is beyond truth seeking. It is where truth itself is folly and the crooked nature of love prevails. Yes, the answer to your question is yes. <laughs> um, um, and I think that uh, it's also worth mentioning, as I have in the past, that uh, sometimes we think of truth with regard to Siddhanta, the teaching, but really it's a way of trying to talk about a truth or a reality that transcends uh, word and, and, and thought. Um, that's not doesn't mean that we should take it lightly, but um, that should be a factor in our thinking as we study so that we don't become too attached to um, um, philosophy in ways that can become uh, counterproductive. Mm-hmm. Um, that that I've I've seen that happen um, to uh, devotees in the past. Bhakti Bhakti Pramod Puri Goswami Marsh once chuckled and he said, uh, with a little bit of concern, because he, he heard that there was an argument that some devotees were going to leave Iskon because they were teaching that he fell from Vaikuntha. Whether that's accurate or not, I don't know, but it's partly some do, some don't, I guess, in Iskon. They have kind of a mixed teaching on that. But he said, but he said, no, no, you know, it's not not that we come from Vaikuntha, but but he said, but something like this a movement shouldn't break up over this. Because he was seeing Iskon as such a big movement. Of course he didn't know all the details of Iskon and, and so forth, but it had done so much for the world and for Gaudiya Vaishnavism and so many devotees together helping one another. And, and oh, even if it's, he, he didn't think, he thought that could get in the way. There's maybe a kind of a practical example. Now there, you know, there may be philosophical points that we have to set, that we have to separate ourselves from that. That may even be one of them. That's another way to look at it, but I'm just citing what he said at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, which seems to underscore and, and support um, my yes answer, my affirmative answer uh, to your question. Um, but I think, um, again, overall, uh, the we have to have some uh, sense of the relativity of the quote-unquote um, <clears throat> truth. Um, in terms of uh, Siddhanta fully uh, representing it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be truthful. Uh, devotees should be truthful, but still, um, there's relative truth, there's absolute truth. Um, and Prabhupada used to give the example that um, a child may be in need of medicine, but unwilling to take 
the medicine. Mother may say, here, instead of this medicine, take this ladu, close your eyes, and then put the pill in. Um, so she lied to the child, but um, there was a higher truth that was adhered to and served um, that the child needed to receive uh, the medicine. So that's another way of thinking about it. Um, so, it, it, I mean, we could discuss it further, but I think overall, yes, there is some relativity to the idea of um, what's truth. And um, and as such, it may be set aside to some extent uh, for a higher purpose, which would be really ultimately higher truth, I guess you could say. So I hope that helps. Thank you. The next question is from Karin Wayland. She says, Satnam, Hare Krishna. Would you say that would you say that Guru Nanak, the founder of Sikhism, is part of the Shabda Pradam tradition in the Bhakti movement during his time? Was he speaking to people who knew the Vedas and were seers as well as the average as the average person, could a Sikh become a Hare Krishna? Are they compatible and in what ways? Thanks. Guru Nanak ki jai. Jai. Guru Nanak was a great uh, sadhu and uh, the founder of the Sikh tradition. And um, in the Guru, Guru Granth, I believe it's called, and the advocacy of Nam. And uh, the holy name, the power of the name, the sacred name, Satnam, um, is emphasized. And uh, the names in that regard of Ram and Krishna are found throughout the text. Uh, Guru Nanak, politically speaking, socially speaking, was um, kind of came on the scene with a concern among other things, uh, speaking socially, kind of relatively, with a concern about the, for the, uh, the, um, amongst the Indian uh, populace, uh, the friction between Muslims and Hindus. He tried to bring about a, a balance and in between, uh, resolve the differences in a way, and his main advocacy was was uh, Nam, um, and uh, he was very uh, powerful, very successful. And um, I met with um, now I forget. I'm older. I can't remember his name now. But there's a, a famous Sikh guru who came to North America in the 60s, 70s. Um, I can see him in my mind. Um, and founded the uh, Yogi Bhajan. Yes, thank you, yeah, yeah, Yogi Bhajan. I met Yogi Bhajan after um, my Guru Marsh passed from the world. I was invited by him to his um, main base, I think, in, in North America, which was in Santa Fe, New Mexico. They were having some event for the solstice. Many, many people were there. And um, he wanted to speak with me as a representative of the lineage of Srila Prabhupada. He used to come 
Yogi Bhajan to the Los Angeles temple, which was Prabhupada's kind of headquarters, my Guru Maharaj's headquarters in North America. And it was a very um, well-established temple at the time, and it was fairly opulent. And um, Yogi Bhajan, on more than one occasion, visited there and brought um, Indian uh, compatriots, uh, companions, uh, associates, persons who he was cultivating whatnot, to the temple, and he would show them the temple and say, these are the Brahmins. And the typically the the um, Sikhs think of themselves as as, as, as chatriyas from a social religious perspective, and so we and we were protecting them. And he, he was kind of showing he would show, of course, his own mission, but um, he, he did that a few times. So there was some interaction between the two missions. And as I say, I was invited uh, to speak with him about a particular issue that he was concerned with, uh, which was, um, there was a, there was a, 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 a group of people that were kidnapping uh, devotees of different uh, missions and trying to uh, distance them from those missions uh, with having been paid to do that by their parents. They called it deprogramming brainwashing them taking they, they thought they were brainwashed and they would straighten them out and so forth so some of his good very close persons had been uh, subject to that and he wanted to talk about that um, um, because he knew that our mission was also being subjected to that and and come up with some strategy or something that that's why i was invited but anyway um that's just some history he had a pundit, I don't know his name, I forget, um, who was his kind of like, the, well, the pundit of the, of, of, the, of the group. And Yogi Bhajan saw that I was very inclined, you know, for philosophical discussion and so forth. So um, rather than entertain that himself, he, he, he um, asked the pundit to sit with me. And so we discussed for a long period of time different topics. One of the things that came up was the, 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 the um, the fact that, um, um, and he cited a text. Now, I don't remember the text, and I didn't have a chance to ever research that, but he cited a text, and it may have been from the Sikh uh, sect itself, but in the, in the text, it was stated that Guru Nanak met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in Jagannath Puri. Mm-hmm. They had, had a meeting. It's not recorded in Chaitanya Charitamrita or any of the other biographies, of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu from our particular tradition, but um, but interesting historical facts anyway, some background. Now that said, um, the I'm not an expert on the Sikh philosophy, but one of the differences between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and uh, and I believe the Sikh tradition and other Bhakti traditions of the time, there was kind of a revolution in the subcontinent from the people in general revolting against the Advaitin idea that in order to attain liberation, one had to first be born in the Brahmin family and then take sannyas, which was like, you know, two, at least two steps removed from where they were in the immediate, most people, the common people, who 
the common people. They felt there should be some more immediacy in terms of being able to relate to God. Hmm? Uh, and so the bearers of Nam Dharma in different forms, Tukaram, Guru Nanak, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Kabir, to name a few, um, they manifested, if you will, to in corresponding with this, in correspondence to this uh, sensibility and um, the means then that they put, uh, that they um, disseminated was that God is present in his name. So the, the emphasis on the name and then anyone can chant from any sect, from any caste and so forth and have direct um, um, connection with God. Now they talked about it in different ways. They philosophized about it in different ways. But one of the distinctions between most of them and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's is what we call Saguna and Nirguna. Here, um, these words can mean different things at different times, but here Saguna means um, uh, Saguna Nam means that the name is a manifestation of the Godhead within the material world, hmm? provisionally speaking, as a means to an end where the name, the form, the personality disappears. Hmm? Nirgunanam, by contrast, is an idea that the name manifests in this world it is not in any way part of the world, and it's not only a provisional means to an end, but it is the means and the end in itself. And the name corresponds with the named and his form, and that form and personality, and thereby name and so forth are also eternal. So you now have a variegated nature of transcendence rather than a, a um, indeterminate form of transcendence and there's enough individuality in that uh, variegated transcendence for there to be eternal relationship between the atma and the paramatma between the jiva and bhagavan between the individual soul and godhead Uh, love means two the two become one but in a dynamic sense they're interacting rather than Two becoming one by extinguishing both, so to speak, the individuality and the form and name of God. So this is um, uh, one of the differences between Chaitanya, between Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching and many of the teachers. Now, I'm not that familiar with Sikh philosophy um, to know exactly what Guru Nanak or Yogi Bhajan taught in this regard. But I, I, I do, um, I did have a, a lot of contact with one of his elder uh, disciples. I forget her name as given by Yogi Bhajan, but she became a disciple of mine and, uh, adopted the name Purnamasi. And, um, she was very, very charmed by the Gaudiya further, as she saw it, development of this Nam Dharma. And, and nature of transcendence. Sometimes a teacher may not speak to the, uh, in greater detail about things that will be 
realized by practice in order to put a focus on the practice itself. So let's say you only emphasize Satnam, chant the name, and and you don't articulate all of the implications of that in transcendence because you think it's it's, it's really beyond the disciples and, and if they just focus on the name, that will be that will be realized. Now the Buddha is an example of this because the Buddha, when asked about God, didn't comment. Mm-hmm. When asked about the Atma, he only spoke the individual self. He only spoke about the 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 individual body mind self composite that's here today, and, you know, and it will be gone tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So there are some Buddhist sects who promote the idea that the Buddha did actually believed in a God and an individual Atma, individual self. Mm-hmm. But he did, but for for a pragmatic, from a pragmatic point of view, he he taught that this false individuality that makes differences between ourselves and so should be done away with. It's the cause of all problems. Your desires, which are make you different from somebody else who has different desires, are the problem, and you're suffering. So and suffering. What about God? Don't worry about that. Let's not talk about that. Hmm? Now, just talk about the fact that you're suffering and this and end desire. That's the way to, to end it. Hmm? And and of course, with the desire, with the my, which represents my desire, the I that corresponds with that. Uh, if you do away with the my, the I disappears too. So some sects within Buddhism think, well, that there it is. There's no self. Hmm? There's no God. It's kind of nihilistic and. Uh, uh, in a sense, when you say that to the Buddhists, then they try to find ways to get around it. But I'm making the point that there are other sects within Buddhism that say this teaching was provisional and pragmatic. Mm-hmm. Rather than focusing on the more as to the nature of transcendence, he focused on just on the practice, just just hold there. Mm-hmm. And if you do it right, then uh, that that will come. So it may be the case with Gurunanak and the Sikh tradition. Um, Especially since, according to the pundit, he met Chaitanya Mahaprabhu <laughs> in Jagannath Puri, that uh, they have a Nirguna conception of Nam, but he didn't articulate it. So, at least I know one uh, um, Sikh who became a Gaudiya Vaishnav, so Purnamasi, as I mentioned. Um, so, uh, uh, your question was, can I, can I, can I, can a, can a Sikh become, a, you can become, yeah, you can, you should become what you, what, what you feel, what resonates with your heart in terms of any authentic spiritual ego effacing path. So the Sikhs, the Buddhists for that matter, different types of Hindus, uh, different sects of Hinduism that are spiritually authentic or Christianity, for example, spiritually authentic, uh, Sufism, um, are such spiritually authentic in my estimation because they are all ego effacing paths. They're paths of mysticism that emphasize mysticism. Mm-hmm. They have religious sides to them too, which is the greater group. Um, but the goal is, is, is mysticism and self-realization and, uh, and uh, transcending the, uh, the limitations of the uh, material ego. So uh, you, you ask, you know, can a, Seek become a Gaudiya Vaishnav. 
yeah, you, you should become, uh, anyone, all of us should become uh, what the ideal of the path that resonates with us most is. Um, and these paths have many things in common and they have some differences. So if some differences cause us to take a step from, say, Sikhism towards Gaudi Vaishnavism uh, or the other way around, then, you know, um, so be it. We have our spiritual destiny and from transcendence and we get association and and we're, we're, we're drawn in. So I would say, you know, you follow your heart. If it's, if it's the case for yourself, you know, obviously you have you have a um, Sikh uh, given would seem name there. Um, if you find yourself inspired by Gaudi Vaishnavism, Yogi Bhajan won't, wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, try to hold you back, so to speak. And uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would, would invite you. And all that you can find in Sikh tradition is there, and, and possibly more in terms of explanation. But in both cases, explanations and philosophical teaching within Gaudi Vaishnavism and explanations and philosophical teachings within Sikhism are uh, are less than what that reality ultimately uh, constitutes. I hope that is helpful. Thank you for the question. All right. So the next question is from Gunjan Sharma. She says, Dandavat Pranam Maharaj, Thank you so much for your kind mercy. What is the best way to please the spiritual master when there are no direct instructions given? General instructions or services which are given to all disciples to spread the mission are naturally a part of service. But other than that, how can one do a personalized service in pleasing and enhancing the internal mood or for the pleasure of guru without direct instructions? as only a few close associates of guru might have access to, to such seva. So can unqualified ones who do not have this access perform such seva in the heart as per their understanding? Um, yes, of course, you can perform such seva in the heart according to your understanding. Um, but um, as I mentioned uh, previously, um, an anga or a limb of the path of the body, angi, of bhakti, uh, uttam bhakti, um, pure bhakti. One of the limbs of the body of bhakti is guru, guru seva. Um, so, <clears throat> um, what does it mean then to serve the guru? Well, the guru teaches the limbs of bhakti, the other limbs of bhakti. Um, Practices of bhakti that are um, mental, verbal, physical, as articulated, for example, in Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, he teaches those, she teaches those, the guru. And um, um, you are speaking about the path. So, of course, he teaches philosophy, he teaches about the goal, he teaches the path. Um, and the path is Krishna Bhakti, right? So, what is Krishna Bhakti? And and um, how it can be um, engaged in, again, in different ways, with body, mind, um, words, and, and and so on, through different uh, 
powerful uh, forms of bhakti, like chanting, like archan, worshiping the deity, and prayer, and so forth. So, um, to engage in those things under the direction of the guru mm, is to please the guru. This is what the guru wants us to do, right? Um, now, what you're asking about is something more than that, some personal instruction from the guru. Uh, uh, and the fact that uh, maybe in a large mission, that's uh, opportunity for hearing that is not available to anyone and everyone. Well, my guru was in a large mission of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, and he wrote to him, um, which turned out to be just a couple of weeks before um, his guru de- departed from the world, and he was asking that I'm not, I'm a householder, I'm not a, within living within the the in the ashram. I don't have close association with you like others, brahmacharis, sannyasis, monks living in the ashram. Um, but I'd like to have some service. Is there anything I can do? And, and Bhakti Siddhanta, his guru, wrote back to him, I think it would be good for you to 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 speak about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Prabhupada made this whole instruction his, his like the center of his life, if you will. He used to tell us that. Um and um and so here there's here this is part of the result of that. So much much can be said for and Sridhar Maharaj used to say one instruction you can take it, make your whole life around it. So Everybody ought to be able to get one instruction. <laughs> uh, uh, you can try for that, write, write a note or something. Um, but um, aside from that, um, there are the practices of bhakti that the guru is teaching. And sometimes the guru will have a mission as well. And in our succession coming from bhakti, Vinotakura, this is more, more common than not. And so the mission and may have certain um, ambitions, goals it would like to fulfill and so forth, like publishing books, opening ashrams, and so on, right? And these are things that the guru, for example, uh, with the direct help of some monastics living in the ashram, is will try to accomplish for the pleasure of his guru and, and his succession. And so those who live outside the ashram can participate in that in the, in at least by funding it, helping to fund it, because the ashram doesn't have any uh, job. This is its job, and to do it successfully in this world, you know, it needs some funding to publish books, for example. So householders, typically live outside the ashram can in, can be of personal service to the guru and in his or her mission ashram um, by way of helping to fund it and that's very very practical and that very much purifies our work and involvement in the world as well um, um, ideally if we're in a situation where we live outside of the ashram and the personal uh, day-to-day living association with the, with our guru, where you know in which we could receive any number of instructions, bring this, do that, you know, 
help me with this. Uh, uh, typically, um, householders in the opposite situation, and the I, 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 ideally they should donate to the mission, to the guru. They could find out from members of the ashram what might be needed there, what may be required, and so forth. What might be useful, helpful, and provide that, supply that. And that should be ultimately their fun money. <laughs> In other words, you have to work to maintain yourself, take care of your children and pay your mortgage and so on and so forth. If you don't live in the ashram and, um, and, and you, sh- and, and you have in the context of that, some, some expendable, you know, income, right? Expendable. I don't know that's the right word, but, um, extra income besides all the bills have been paid. Now I've got something left over. What will I do with that? So that your fun money should ideally be spent for that, for this, for, for Krishna consciousness, right? That's a very, that's, that's a very um, ideal standard of household, uh, household life. Um, and um, it's not easy. For householders to do that, <laughs> um, uh, it's not easy to live in an ashram e- either. There are difficulties wherever, but the, the, the more we can uh, be of a self-sacrificing nature in this way, and our main focus be Guru Krishna, the ashram, the mission, and so on, then uh, the better off we will be in the in the true sense of the term. Hmm? So. Those are some of my thoughts on the matter. I hope that helps. Thank you very much. The next question is a longer one, and it's from Anadi Krishna. Let's see, where is it? Here we go. So I'm going to read it slowly. Don't, uh, you know, so just so that Shamsundar can uh, keep up with me. Okay. Anadi Krishna says, Dear Guru Maharaj, I recently spoke with one person about Bhakti Yoga. He is very inspired to follow our path and has natural has a natural tendency to listening to Krishna Katha. However, he is not does not have such a good opinion about the Hare Krishna movement. So he asked me, "Is your path the same as the Hare Krishna movement? Are you a cult too?" <laughs> and then Anadi says, "What is? Oh no, the guy says, what is the answer?'" And then Anadi Krishna answered. He said, we're not the Hare Krishna movement and our uh, idea of bhakti is quite different. But then Anadi is asking you, Guru Maharaj, what are you thinking about my, what do you think about my answer? Was it correct? And what would be your answer? And then that's the first part. Then there's a second part to this question. He says, that same person told me that once he read Bhagavad Gita as it is, he was impressed by the verses, but he could not read the purports of Srila Prabhupada because it was too fanatical and conservative for him. But fortunately, he bought Aesthetic Vedanta and Joy of Self recently. Then Anadi says for his own part, he says, I love Srila Prabhupada, but some comments of Bhagavad Gita as it is are too heavy for me for a postmodern person, for a person in the postmodern world. What do you think about this? What to tell to people inspired by Krishna consciousness, but not inspired by the purports of Srila Prabhupada? Thank you. Well, I think that um, 
the, 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 your, your friend uh, referred to the Hare Krishna movement, which is the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. It's the biggest face, if you will, of of Gaudi Vaishnavism. But it has a lot of um, um, good to it and basic core teachings of Gaudi Vaishnavism. But it can be very uh, insular, very very sectarian, and it can be um, socially very uh, conservative. And that may be uh, disconcerting or maybe a, a turn off to uh, some uh, some persons of the general public. And um, and for myself, of course, I was a member of ISKCON and there, for, for reasons of my own, I am no longer a member of ISKCON. Basically, when Prabhupada was departing, he said that we could take instructions from one of his godbrothers, Pujapad Bhakti Rakshakshidadev Goswami Maharaj, and I did that. And later, the ISKCON authorities, they decided that anyone who was doing that could not be a member of ISKCON. So uh, since then, it's been, I don't know, 40 years now, I'm, I'm not a member of ISKCON, but I'm a Gaudi Vaishnava, so I'm known as such in the world. Sometimes they say there's ISKCON and there's Triparari Maharaj. <laughs> so there are others too, but... Um, uh, you know, there, there's more more than one uh, sect representing Gaudi Vaishnavism in the world today. There used to be only one in the Western world, which was ISKCON. Um, and so that's good uh, in one sense. Um, and so if someone finds Gaudi Vaishnavism attractive, well, they can pick from the sects that represent it what sect rep- resonates with them um, best and respect all the others. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have to keep a distance from some uh, because it doesn't. They don't. Some of their teachings don't resonate with you. They're they're they may be flat. They may be dogmatic. Uh, even in the presentation of the core philosophy, um, and um, or they may be as as this fellow seems to be speaking about in you yourself, Anadi Krishna, and socially uh, conservative. Um, and now, um, so anyway, that's the way I would have, would have answered the person, the question that you uh, were confronted with and, um, moving on to the second part of your question, he was not, um, inspired by Prabhupada's edition of Bhagavad Gita, my Gurmars' edition, the purports in which there are some some conservative, socially speaking, uh, statements. Um, but he was inspired, apparently, by my books that you mentioned, a couple of them, Aesthetic Vedanta, The Joy of Self. Um, so one has to, has to put that together, because I'm a disciple of Prabhupada, so I'm made out of, you know, uh, him, he, he, whatever I am. Uh, it's, that is his, his mercy. And, and at the same time, someone likes me but doesn't like him, so you have, you have to put that together. And I think that um, one of the ways to can help us to do that is uh, by becoming philosophically aware of something that's called presentism. Presentism is a is a philosophical term that refers to what's thought to be a philosophical kind of fallacy, and and that is judging a person of the past 
in terms of their ethical, social, moral uh, concerns, based on ethical, moral, social concerns of today. Hmm? Evaluating the quality of that person, hmm? the worthiness of that person, the humanness and the spirituality of that person. Hmm? Basing that, again, on his or her social sensibilities, um, moral, ethical outlook, um, when that moral and ethical outlook is in conflict with a moral and ethical outlook of today that you identify with. Now, the point here is that larger point was the person ethical and moral in his or her own time hmm? let's take from a political point of view abraham lincoln in the united states he he signed what's called the proclamation of proclamation of um independence or something i forget what it's called which freed the, the uh, slaves hmm? And what made them free people? Mm-hmm. Proclamation, emancipation, proclamation of emancipation. He emancipated the slaves. So he was a strong advocate of freeing the slaves, which is what which was a central issue to the to the Civil War in the United States. Mm-hmm. So he was a great champion of. Um, of the emancipation and anti-racist perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, however, he also said that we're signing the proclamation of emancipation, the slaves should be free, but of course they could never hold office. So if we look at his statement, you can never, the, 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 the African-Americans or Negroes, as they were called then, can never hold office. It's, not, it's pretty racist from today's point of view. If you can say African Americans cannot be, you know, elected members of, of, the, of the government, you'd lose your job. <laughs> you know, it's extremely racist. But we can't think that. But Abraham Lincoln was a racist, so we have to look at his moral sensibilities in terms of the time. What was, you know, what the 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 African American people then were were uneducated and they had certain qualities and so forth, which were largely um, a product of their environment. I mean, we were all a product, of, you know, of, of our environment to some extent, right? And so until that environment changed, then all their potentials and, and, and so forth as, as humans and the fact that they could hold office and, and do anything that that a Caucasian could do wasn't, wasn't entirely clear. So the world is always revealing itself over time, materially speaking. Hmm? Um, and and the question, therefore, was 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 Lincoln morally sound person? Hmm? And and if he was, then we shouldn't judge his particular relative. See, more we should. There are moral principles, and then there are actual moral laws. So there's a moral principle. There's a there's a principle. That there is a right. There is a wrong. This is this means the world has a dharma has a purpose that materialism doesn't admit to this. Hmm? 
They're just atoms bouncing around and so forth. There's no right or wrong, ultimately. This is a popular, you know, stream of, of, uh, philosophical thought in the world. But we, uh, spiritualists, transcendentalists don't agree with that. We think that life, world has a real right, that, that moral good and bad are ontologically grounded. There is a real right and a real wrong. Now, what will be right and what will be wrong has some relativity to it relative to the time, the place, circumstances. We can draw what's right and what's wrong from scripture, Krishna says in the Mahabharata, but also with the help of reasoning according to the time and the place and the circumstance. Not just some dogmatic, this is right, this is wrong, because scripture says so. But why was it saying it? When was it saying it? What are the circumstances now? And to what extent does it apply now or not apply now? And so forth. Just like law. My guru Maharaj used to say, the scriptures are like the law books. So if you go before the court of law and you say, Your Honor, I think, I feel, and I wish, and I hope and I pray that he's not guilty. And the other lawyer says, well, Your Honor, according to this law at this time and this law at this time, the law stated this at that time. Therefore, looking at the the person today, I find him guilty. Well, the the, the latter is going to win. Um, So the law, but the law books are constantly being rewritten or updated. You can say to kill is illegal. Okay, got it. Now, what if you kill accidentally? That hasn't happened before. Now it's happened accidentally. Now, how do we think about it, right? So then they, you know, they then they call it you know manslaughter or something in this United States. So, so the, it's constantly being adjusted. So the, the nature of scripture, if it's the law books, whether they be the you know the, the Guru Granta, the Bhagavad Gita, the Bible, you know, the Quran, these are all manifestations of such. All texts that advocate that that the moral good and right and wrong are ontologically grounded there is a right there is a wrong they're all speaking in different times different cultures different places different circumstances and so on so um there again there's the moral law and then there's the moral principle laws may change at different times so there's a relativity to that so you know while we should be careful of this presentism as i'm saying judging someone from the past from the from this point of view social moral, ethical point of view um, in terms of details based on our own ethical point of view, which today, for that matter, is uh, relative. Also, how that will change. The left can become extremely left and objectionable, and the right can become extremely right and objectionable. And um, so be a morally good person to the best of your possible capacity, uh, as you understand it, with the help of sacred text teachers and um, and your own good reasoning and so forth. And I think that Prabhupada, uh, you know, was a very liberal person in his own estimation and in the estimation of his godbrothers as well. Um, uh, um, but um, in terms of, you know, 2023, he had some uh, ideas that uh, were would be socially uh, conservative um, at the time, um, um, and they come up here or there. Um, so, um, I would I would think that uh, if one understands what I'm talking about, then, then as we do in general with Lincoln, for example, Abraham Lincoln, so with Prop and other spiritual teachers. Um, 
not let that get in the way, so to speak. Yeah. Neither do we have to accept it as absolute, neither are they, are they presenting as, it's, as, as some absolute. Mm-hmm. So, that said, I'll conclude with this on the point, that he read Bhagavad Gita as it is, my Guru Maharaj's edition, it wasn't inspired. I have an edition, you could read that, but he read Aesthetic Vedanta, another book of mine, which he very much identified with. So if you identify with my books, you're identifying with Prabhupada, because that's where they come from. <laughs> um, but some relative aspects of it, you know, um, what would Prabhupada say now? Ask me, because I'm his representative now, and therefore what I'm saying is what he would say, would, would say now with regard to relative issues. My own experience was Prabhupada might have an opinion, relatively speaking, about something, but if we presented to him some some other information, facts uh, about the matter, then he wouldn't change. He was a rational, reasonable, reasonable person. Mm-hmm. So I hope I covered your your, your question uh, entirely. That is how I would answer. Much. I had a follow-up thought, if you don't mind. Yes. What I was thinking is uh, about the presentism idea. Like if everybody who follows the constitution of the U.S., if they said whatever Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln said, every word of, his, of it is absolute. So then in this moment, they would still be repeating that no African-American should hold uh, office. And that's unfortunately what happens a lot with Prabhupada's followers is that they say that everything that he says is absolute. So it it becomes very complicated because of that, I feel. Yeah, well, that's the misunderstanding. Of course, just to correct you, relatively speaking, Abraham Lincoln didn't make the Constitution. That was before him. He was a later president. But there are constitutional absolutists um, in the in the U.S. government who think it should be taken, you know, Absolutely, and so forth. But meanwhile, the fact of the matter is the history of the of the Constitution, and I think within the Constitution, there's uh, grounds for the possibility of adding amendments to the Constitution. So it, it has to be dynamic by its own admission. Still, there are absolutists, um, and I, I think that 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 is that's problematic. And there are absolutists, disciple God brothers of mine, God sisters of mine, and so forth, who who um, take, try to take every word of Prabhupada's absolute, which he himself did not, um, didn't teach that, but they, they take it like that, and it becomes yeah, a, uh, a distortion. So I guess we had more questions, but we didn't have more time. Yeah, uh, we actually have like five more questions. So it's a very unusual situation. We, we can just leave it for next week. And uh, we thank you very much for this week. It was okay. wonderful. Nice to be with all of you. Hare Krishna.